Welcome back to the Dewhawk Dozen podcast, where each month the Young Alumni Advisory Board nominates one stellar graduate of the last decade to interview and to share their story. Regardless of where they're from or where they are now, their time at Loras connects them all. Let's, Let's do, do this. Welcome back to the Dewhawk Dozen podcast, where the Loris Young Alumni Advisory Board spotlights a young graduate. My name is Anna Johnson, and coming all the way from Ireland, we have the 2019 graduate, Jeannie Casper, joining us today. Welcome, Jeannie. Jeannie, you you were selected. Oh, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining all the way from overseas today. Um, You were selected as our August Dewhawk Dozen for your work in STEM since graduating from Loris. And you are truly a responsible contributor due to how you've taken what you've learned throughout your Loris education and early career and used it to help women and students connect and grow within their fields. Your work is very admirable, and we're so excited to talk with you today. All right. Well, getting started, let's go back to kind of the beginning. And can you tell me real quick why you chose Loris or how you ended up at Loris? That's a great question. Um, I know when you're in high school, there's usually a lot of pressure to go to a school that everyone's heard of, that has like a, you know, people people know what it is and people know what that school is good at. Um, That was really never something that I was particularly interested in. Um, I really wanted to go to a school where um, the students were really at the forefront of everyone's mind and and making sure that those students got the best education possible instead of, you know, trying to weed those students out like at some of the bigger universities. Um, so that was really one of the big reasons that I that I chose Loris. Um, the people were just so welcoming when I went on my campus tour. Um, I was excited to join the golf team and have the opportunity to um, give engineering a try, which I wasn't quite sure if it was what I wanted to do or not at that point in time. Um, And that was something very unique for a small school. Absolutely. I'll echo that too. When I was looking at coming to Loris, I felt the same way. I When I did my first campus visit, I was so impressed with the faculty and I was like, wow, these people really care about me and my path to education. And I like that I can get connected to my professors better than you can, you know, at larger universities. So I can definitely echo that experience. When you came into Loris, did you always know you wanted to be an engineer? Definitely not. Um, (laughs) When when I started at Loris, um, I was actually kind of going down two paths. I was going um, towards like the engineering degree and then also biochemistry. And I really wasn't sure which one I wanted to do when I started. Um, And I really kept going down that path for my whole like freshman year. Um, And, uh, you know, at a certain point, I realized that there was no possible way that I was going to graduate in a decent amount of time if I was going to do both of them. Sure. Um, And so I actually met with my advisor at the time, um, Dr. Thompson. And we kind of walked through it and kind of um, talked about what I wanted to do after Loris. And that's really when I discovered um, biomedical engineering. Mm. And that was like the perfect mesh of engineering and also that healthcare side of things where you're getting to use those design tools, but you're using them 
to really help people with like medical devices or pharmaceuticals. Um, and that's really, <laughs> I guess that, I guess that's really when I decided that that's what I wanted to do. Absolutely. I think um, people that obviously pursued STEM fields understand how demanding those like course loads are as they're going through their four years. And people that aren't in the STEM fields are, I think, um, very scared of how intense those those course loads are. So as you were going through and studying engineering and kind of biochemistry and stuff like that throughout Loris, and I know you you switched your path a little bit as you were kind of pursuing both of those things. Um, you obviously had a pretty demanding course load. You were also an SI or a supplemental instructor for physics. You were active in the planetarium. You were in the sorority. You golfed. You did dance marathon, chemistry club, a million things. So you were definitely a stellar do-hawk. Um, how did you handle all of that? Like, what was, what kind of things did you learn about time management that maybe are helping you now in your career? You know, how do you feel like you kind of grew as a person as you touched all of these different um, parts of the Loris experience throughout your four years there? Uh, that question actually makes me laugh. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really signed up for a little bit too much when I was at Loris. Um, yeah. There there really wasn't a club that I didn't want to join. That was me limiting myself. Um, <laughs> but uh, ultimately, you know, I kind of picked organizations and groups that gave me the opportunity to either do outreach with the community um, or something that I got to learn a new skill or a new or develop my my existing skill set. Um, and I really don't regret <laughs> signing up for all of them. Um, but I, I didn't give them all the the same amount of time and effort <laughs> as I maybe would have liked to. Um, when I started out, I, it, it was a mission. Um, the mission for me was my schoolwork. Um, I knew pretty early on that I wanted to go to grad school. And so if there was an assignment that I needed to get done for the next day, you know, I that meant that I was skipping that meeting or maybe I wasn't going to practice that night um, or missing lifting the next morning, something along those lines. Um, but really everything that I had the opportunity to do um, expanded my possibilities in the future from then on. And even now, um, time management is still <laughs> definitely something that you have to think about. There's always gonna be a time where your manager is gonna ask you to stay late or you feel like you need to bring a project home with you and keep working on it into the night. But you really have to look at your priorities and see, is that something that I need to do right now? Or is it more important to have dinner with my family or go see my friends um, or make that phone call to a family member in another state? Like sometimes you kind of have to weigh those options. Yeah, I think that's a really healthy perspective, looking at yourself and your identity as all of the different pieces that come together to make you who you are and not just yourself as, you know, a career woman or whatever it might be. Obviously, those parts of you are very important, but um, yeah, that's a hard, a hard lesson to figure out and learning how to say no to certain things that maybe you want to do, even if you don't feel like you have the time. But I think we probably can both agree that Loris offers, you know, the opportunity to pursue so many different things. Um, and it's a great sign that you were so curious about so many things because 
obviously that's important as you step into the STEM field. It's a, a personality trait that you have to have, I think, to be curious about so many things and excited to pursue um, opportunities. And I have no doubt that that led you towards um, your scholarship that you earned through NASA when we were kind of preparing to talk to you today. That was something that came up in the notes and I was very eager to ask you about it. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was another one of the great opportunities that Loris actually provided um, mm. through their partnership with the Iowa Space Grants Consortium. Um, and with that partnership, you have access to um, maybe some resources that you wouldn't normally have through another engineering program. And so that was actually where the scholarship came from or came through. Um, you had the ability to apply for that through that program. And I definitely had no expectations of winning um, by any means. Um, but I really thought, you know, why not? Why not give it a shot? Um, and really, a lot of the Loris engineering professors and even some of the um, staff members as well really helped me fine tune my essay, um, reviewed my resume, and all of the parts that needed to be submitted for that scholarship um, really were um, in part to the help that I got from Loris as well. That's amazing. I know, you know, professors at Loris definitely go beyond what they would need to to support students in a lot of different capacities. Similarly, I know when I applied to internships or even my full-time job after school, um, I had professors review my resume and my application and things like that too. And it's amazing how receptive and excited they are to, you know, help us in all of those capacities outside of coursework. Um, in addition to, you know, professors helping with your application to that scholarship and things, how else do you think Loris and the education you received there helped support you for pursuing your master's degree? So you got um, your master's in biomedical in innovation, design, and entrepreneurship at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I believe you graduated in 2020, right? That's correct. It's a crazy year to be graduating, I think, <laughs> with your master's degree. But um, as you went through um, all of that, how do you feel like Loris kind of set you up for success? Um, yeah, Loris is entirely the reason why I was able to go to grad school. Um, I kind of mentioned early, earlier in the interview that I knew pretty early on that I wanted to go to grad school. I knew probably yeah. my freshman year. Um, and when you kind of have that in mind, you start to look at some of those requirements ahead of time. And there were a couple of classes that were a requirement that Loris either didn't offer or they were not part of the engineering program. Mm. And so really the professors really stepped up to the plate, if you will. Like they really were, um, they really wanted to support my, my passion of being able to go to grad school. And so after talking to them, or some may say bothering them. Um, I, I, I asked quite a, quite a few times if there is a possibility to start up a biomedical engineering track with the engineering program. Um, and at this point in time, there weren't any of those track programs yet. And so this was the first one that they made. Um, and it was really made in part for me to be able to get those requirements for grad school. Um, and so Dr. Thompson 
led a class that just had me in it <laughs> um, to be able to get one of those requirements. And then it also shifted my course schedule a little bit um, to be able to get in um, some of the extra math classes and some of the extra chemistry and human anatomy classes that I needed um, for those applications. So <laughs> would not have been possible at all without the support of the engineering professors. They really, um, they really helped a lot. Wow. Yeah, it definitely takes a a group, right? You have the the support of your professors, but you also seem to be an incredible self-starter too, where you know what your goal is in mind at the end. And now you got to sit there and go, how do I get there? Right. What do I, what steps need to fall into place in order for this dream of mine to happen? Um, and it sounds like you've been a self-starter as well, since you stepped out of uh, all of your education between your undergraduate degree at Loris and your master's at University of Wisconsin-Madison. And now you're working at Abbott and you are, you know, uh, supporting women in STEM. And we also understand that you helped contribute to a book um, at Abbott, which is what does STEM look like? And oh, the reader or the listeners of the podcast can't see it, but Jeannie just pulled up the book for us. And so that's something that um, maybe you guys can can do a quick Google search for if you're listening to the podcast. Um, but it sounds like your work at the planetarium might have contributed to maybe some some conversations or some interests that led you to contributing to this book. And there's probably some people listening too that might have a dream someday of writing a book or contributing to a book. So can you just tell us a little bit about, about that? Absolutely. Um, it really actually started as a company-wide email that came out and it was asking for drawing submissions for a book that Abbott's Women in STEM group was going to put together. And this was for anyone who worked at the company, their kids. Um, some people actually brought it to their child's school and had their class make drawings. And really the theme was very open-ended. It was, what does STEM mean to you? And basically to draw that. And the first thing that came to my mind was um, uh, a little girl looking through a telescope up at the Aurora Borealis. Um, and the Aurora Borealis is actually one of the shows that I wrote and put on at the planetarium at Loris. And wow. yeah, I just, I thought it was such a cool phenomenon. Um, there was so much science behind it that, you know, it, it almost seems like magic, but it's not, it's all explained by science. Um, and then even like the legends surrounding it from different cultures perspectives, I thought was so cool. And so I thought that was the perfect painting to put together for this book. And I really want to be more involved in the book as well. And so I kind of asked to see what I could, what else I could help out with. And from there, I was added to the storyboarding team. So I worked with a group um, really across the world. We had people in a lot of different locations that were working on this. And we looked at all the drawings that we received and kind of put them into an order. And then we really uh, wrote the story to be able to put the pictures together. And then from that point, um, we really needed a theme to connect all of those pictures because it was such an open-ended question that we had people who were drawing like me. <laughs> I was drawing, you know, constellations and, and um, 
that sort of thing. And, and other people, they were drawing cars. <laughs> so we got all kinds of different, different things submitted for that project. Um, and I thought the perfect theme to tie it all together would be constellations. And so the book actually starts out with this little girl named Anna. She's looking through her telescope one night and she's kind of daydreaming about what she wants to be when she grows up. And she starts to see the stars shift and start to form pictures. And through those different pictures, they form, you know, the cars or they form the telescope and, and the different career paths that she could take. Um, so very, very much influenced by my time at Loris. Um, and that was really excited to see the physical book come out and, and see those pictures come to life. That's amazing. I think what a dream it is to say that you contributed so significantly to, you know, a children's book like that. It's something physical that shows um, different passions of yours kind of coming together and being a story that other people can, you know, read and connect to. So that's incredible. It sounds like at Abbott, you've been very busy um, between contributing to the book and obviously um, working within your main role. But I've also noticed that you've um, moved through a couple of different roles while you've been at Abbott. Um, and advance from a uh, quality engineer to a production supervisor to a business excellence specialist. And I think that's something that a lot of um, young alumni in particular are curious about is how they can put themselves in positions to continue to advance and learn and grow within their organizations. Do you have any advice for young alumni about how to advance within their company or organization based on your experience? I was actually very fortunate to be in a professional development program. So it was very much um, kind of regulated rotations where you get to try out different roles in different divisions, working on different products. Yeah. Um, and so when I started out, I was actually working in dairy procurement, which was not engineering at all. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but you learn to apply the skills that you learned in school to whatever the company asks you to do. Um, and so that particular job, I learned all about milk and the components that make up milk um, and how those are incorporated into the different products, um, the nutritional products that the company makes. And then from there, you know, we completely switched gears. I worked on Abbott's uh, By Next Now COVID tests um, as a quality engineer on the weekend shift. And that was, you know, completely different thing. Now you're, you're responsible for the quality of, you know, a test that a lot of people are relying on to be safe. Um, and at that point, it's, you know, it's uh, it's really just you that's stopping it from going out the door um, with a with an issue. Um, and then my most recent job before the one in Ireland um, was being a, a supervisor, and this this particular job really hit home. Um, this was for a device called an ICD, and it is a pacemaker and defibrillator. So if there's a person who has an abnormal heartbeat and their, their heart doesn't beat as well on its own. They'll have one of these installed and the pacemaker will beat for them 
And then the defibrillator part, if it sees that the heart is not in its normal sinus rhythm, it will actually shock your heart. Um, and this particular part that I worked on was really brand new um, to the company. It had previously been made by someone else um, and we were bringing it in house. And so there were just so many challenges that came up with learning something from scratch. And I think with every opportunity that you get, um, even if you don't think that you're qualified for it, or you don't think that you'll do a good job at it, or even if you're just scared, um, you should you should really go for it. Um, it's kind of the, the long and short of that is you don't know what you don't know until you give it a try. Um, and you never know, you might love it and you didn't think you would. So I guess that was my, my long answer of um, the long answer to your question um, is that really to try and, and advance in a company or to try and pursue your passion, you shouldn't be afraid to take risks and try something that you've never done before. Maybe that even means moving to another city or, or another country um, to try yeah. and pursue those dreams. Absolutely. I think everybody has fear at different times, you know, with whatever they're interested in pursuing. But I think if your resolve is strong enough and you know that this is something that you want to go after, I think, um, passion makes up for a lot of lack of knowing, and there's always going to be brilliant people around you that you can learn from as long as you're, you know, willing to put yourself out there and try new things and push past some of the fear that might be keeping you or other people, you know, from pursuing an opportunity you're excited about. So you're definitely a great example of that. So thanks so much for sharing some more about your background and kind of how you've been advancing at Abbott. Um, I just have a couple more questions for you. As you, you know, look at your post Loris life, you've obviously been doing so many different things or even in Ireland now. Um, and so you're far away from Dubuque currently, but how have you felt like you've been, you know, kind of connected to the Duhawk community, like after Loris and, um, have there been any specific moments that have stuck out to you of Duhawk supporting Duhawks throughout your, your journey after, after school? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Obviously, there's a big change from going from, you know, being in college and, and living with your friends or your friends are, you know, just one building over um, to being in another country from them. And that really can be difficult to sometimes maintain a relationship. Um, but I think even if you don't talk to those people or your friends as often as you used to, there's still that connection there because you did spend four years together um, and have so many shared experiences. So even though I'm, I'm no longer remotely close to my friends' time zones, um, we still try and give each other a call every once in a while, or I'll send a postcard um, with whatever place that I'm in at that time. Um, or when I'm back in the United States, I do try and catch like a football game with a couple of uh, friends that, you know, that was kind of our, our thing. Um, so definitely trying to keep in contact with the people that you met and made that connection with. And then another part of the Loris community is people that you maybe don't know. Um, 
but when you're at Loris, um, even if you don't know the person or if you're in that Loris alumni community and you don't know someone, you still have more of a connection to them than you would at a larger school. Um, so if, I guess, for example, um, this past year, Dr. Niebel reached out to me um, from the Loris Engineering Program, and he had a student who was looking to get into the medical device field and was wondering if I would be willing to kind of help this person out a little bit. And I was very excited by this opportunity. Um, one of my other things that I've been involved with this past year is helping with uh, intern recruiting events for the company. And so I kind of have an idea of what some of the recruiters are looking for on the resumes and LinkedIn and, and interviewing tips. And so I um, I set up a couple meetings with this person and, and we got some of those parts of their, um, their resume and, and those sort of things um, to get them ready. That's awesome. I think for anybody listening, that's a perfect example of if you're trying to find new ways to get connected to Loris or, you know, fall back into the community a little bit closer um, than you have been recently, just reach out and see how you can help. Because I think there's a lot of students that probably are interested in pursuing career paths similar to yours. And I can't imagine any professor would turn down an opportunity to connect students with alumni um, to learn more about their experience and whether you've been out of Loris for a year or five years or 10 years, you definitely have something I think to contribute to this conversation. So I have no doubt that student benefited from, from conversing with you and learning more about um, everything that you've learned from your career, whether it's from recruitment or just you know about the industry that you're working in. So that's a phenomenal example. Well, is there anything else, Jeannie, that you wanna share with the, the listeners of the podcast today? I know we've covered a lot of different areas from you know, you starting your experience at Loris through your time there, what you've learned and, and what you've done since, but is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, there's actually one more thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with women in STEM. Um, there was a little bit more that I worked on with that group this past year. Um, and each of Abbott's sites, um, well, not all of them, have a chapter of women in STEM. And when I started my role in South Carolina, I was actually pretty disappointed when they didn't have a chapter there. And that that was kind of frustrating to me, actually, just because that was like an outlet for me, um, just because the group not only promotes women at the company, but it also goes into schools or brings school groups in to do a tour or maybe like a small science experiment or to listen to a talk on um, what some of the, you know, uh, women in STEM at the company are working on. And that really speaks to me because when I was younger, you know, I, I don't really think I heard of an engineer until maybe I was like 15 or 16. And I didn't really know what they did either. And by having that kind of group where you can have that out outreach to young kids 
and be able to share with them another possibility that they maybe didn't know about um, was really impactful for me. And so this past year, I actually started a chapter at the South Carolina site. Um, and unfortunately, we started it in June. And so we didn't have the opportunity to go into any schools at that point since school was out. Um, but we did do one event so far, um, which was a fundraising event. And it was called a Bake Off competition, where all of the employees at the site brought in baked goods, and then we raffled them off to um, employees during their lunch breaks. Mm. And so all of that money went to the local technical college um, to help buy them new science equipment, to help um, the students going to that school have the best possibility of succeeding by having new equipment. Wow. It all comes full circle when you felt so supported as a student and you had some amazing role models and now you're doing the same thing for other students, you know, even younger than maybe your initial introduction to engineering. So um, what a, and what an amazing way to spend some of your extra time. And I'm sure that the the folks at the South Carolina chapter are excited that somebody said, Hey, let's do this. Right. Because there's probably enough interest to create a chapter for women in STEM there. And um, all it takes is somebody like you to step forward and say, okay, why not? Let's set up a chapter and, and get going. Um, and now you're in Ireland. And so I'm sure you're supporting from <laughs> afar, but a little harder with time zones and things like that. And, um, well, the, uh, the site that I'm at in Ireland does have a chapter. Nice. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to getting involved and I'm, I'm so excited to be starting a new role in a division that I don't really know a lot about yet. Um, this particular one, they make blood testing equipment. So when you go into the doctor and you have your blood drawn, um, odds are your blood is probably being run through one of these machines to, to tell you if you have, um, you know, what your levels are. And so I'm really excited about that. And I'm also excited to explore a country that I've never been to before. And it is just beautiful here. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of the people listening, myself and included in this conversation, are very jealous that you're over in Ireland for a year now. And um, I know it's a popular study abroad location for a lot of Laura students, but um, you're living abroad now and you're there for a whole year. So that's incredible. Did you end up studying abroad at all while you were at Loris? Um, I did J terms when I was at Loris. So ah. I did one in India and one in Greece, and I absolutely loved them. It was a great opportunity to not be away for a full semester, sure. um, but to get still a taste of it. That's great. And now you're checking off another country off your list and spending some time in Ireland. So we're so thankful that you could join us from so far away and, and have this conversation and everything and also um, deal with the, the time change for recording. So we're really glad that you could hop on with us. Hopefully it's not too late there. <laughs> no, just just a little getting up to dinner time. But gotcha. Not well, thank you so much, Jeannie, for being on the show with us today and for our listeners um, for tuning in. Don't forget to mark your calendars for the 12th of every month, where we'll be introducing the newest member of our Dewhawk Dozen. Thanks to Loris College and the Young Alumni Advisory Board for sponsoring this podcast. Um, and we'll see you next month. Thank you again so much, Jeannie. Thank you.